and welcome to the Hustle and Bustle podcast. My name is Nicole Bennett and I'm an urban and regional planner and I'm the host of this podcast. Each episode I bring you conversations with city shapers and urban thinkers, leaders in the field of urban planning and city building. I'm located here on the beautiful Gold Coast in Australia. We are one of the host cities for the Brisbane 2032 Olympics and Paralympics. The next 10 years is being described as the golden decade for our city and our region. The conversations on this podcast help us understand the opportunities and challenges ahead. So please take a minute from your busy hustle and bustle day and let's have a great conversation. And welcome to episode 12 of the Hustle and Bustle podcast. My guest today is a bit of a legend in transport planning, I would say, especially in southeast Queensland and on the Gold Coast. <laughs> he is that trusted voice uh, who tells it like it is, often a go-to for our media when there's major announcements or to respond to some community concern. He coordinates much of Griffith Uni's transport research with funding from Queensland Government, Motor Accident and Insurance Commission and Brisbane City Council. He's currently leading research projects on some of the latest transport planning issue, issues, um, some that I don't even know what they are, but there's a demand responsive transit, improved mode choice modelling, cashless payments for public transport and tactical urbanism and cycling. I'm referring to the illustrious Professor Matthew Burke. How are you going, Matt? Thanks for joining me today. Uh, I don't think I've ever had as nice an introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. You're a, you are a bit of a legend in this space. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Infamous rather than famous might be more, uh, more apt. I should, anyway. have warned you. I should have warned you about the intro. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're connecting virtually today, but I can see you see you via the screen, and and I made you squirm. <laughs> but but um, look, I I'm I was really fortunate recently to see you present at the Asia Pacific City Summit. Um, Aha, yes. And for me, you really hit the nail on the head. <laughs> a little bit too close to home on a few of your observations and your recommendations. So I knew from that moment I had to get you on the podcast and just start to unpick the beast that is transport planning. Um, it's been one of those topics that I've really wanted to get to, but it's such a it's such a complicated and big beast. Um, but you also seem just so passionate about it. And maybe before I kick off, could I just ask you why? Why are you so? Why do you love transport planning so much? Uh, there's a very well rehearsed tale of my my upbringing, but I think. I think a lot of us love transport. We love the freedom and mobility. As little kids, we're, we're constrained. We're, we're, we're told we have to stay in the cot or stay in the ram. Um, and we want to run and go, but parents are always bringing us back. And we want that freedom. And that, that's expressed in literature, um, whether it's the walks that the Mr. Men and Little Miss characters do as we're being read to by our parents. They go on walks and have these amazing adventures. Uh, Harry Potter's locked in a, 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 you know, a cupboard under the stairs by his aunt and uncle where he lives, but then he gets this amazing freedom. You know, it's, it's, I think that's universal. But for me, four things happened when I was about age 15, 16. I, I lost a stepsister in a car accident. I went to a new school in the inner city of Melbourne that required me to travel a very long distance by public transport with three trip legs of different modes, buses and trains that all didn't connect very well. And it was awful. And, and I'd spend 45 minutes every afternoon sitting on the side of a road going, why do I have to sit here? Because the bus left two minutes 
before the train came into the station. You know, just really <laughs> dumb stuff. Um, uh, I got a, a letter in the mail saying that the park at the bottom of my street wasn't a park. It was a freeway reservation. And I was about to have a new driveway built to my mum's house called the Eastern Freeway. And I kind of didn't like that idea. So I joined a, <laughs> my first anti-road campaign. Um, and no, we got that road. And, you know, it provides great accessibility, but it's it's clogged. Um, and I, I look at the alternatives that were suggested at the time and that weren't pursued. And I wonder if Melbourne lost something there. So all these sorts of things all coalesced around a very developmental period in my life. And yeah, so I got, got into urban planning and then drifted into transport planning. And there's a large number of us. If you actually look at um, recent graduates into the transport agencies, they are recruiting a lot more urban planners to do transport planning than they used to exist, which I think is a great thing. <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. And, you know, and I think sort of transport planning is one of the most important areas for our cities to get right, you know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we need to ensure, as you've, as you've sort of just mentioned, people can move around safely and efficiently and get to where they need to go, you know, whether it's home or work or, you know, education, recreation, um, you know, and, and cities, especially the ones in southeast Queensland, are growing in population. That's right. Um, and, and we can't keep relying on cars, you know, as our primary way of moving around, you know, and I think you know that, I know that, but I still think there's a, there's a, a, a level of kind of, non-acceptance out there in the community oh, absolutely you know and and that's partly because the system of automobility is so all-encompassing that it any single suggestion to change part of that system is not going to overthrow the whole system we're so locked into the car and a city like the gold coast is particularly locked into the car i mean um the gold coast really became you know, a contiguous urban settlement and uh, became, you know, the small town that became the city uh, in the 1960s. So it was a disparate set of little villages connected once upon a time by rail. You know, we forget that Southport and Coolangatta yeah. were founded on the fact that railway went there, but we dug up that railway and we South sold off that. South coastline. Yeah, um, which it wasn't the only ex-urban rail line in Australia that was being ripped up. We yeah. ripped up rail lines out of every Australian city of a similar type. Um, but this one we really came to regret. And, you know, then we built the rail uh, out the back of the Gold Coast where very few people were. As a, as a city, the Gold Coast had some of the first drive-in motels in Australia. It really embraced that new American style of car-based development and and locked into that uh, and when the city was small under uh, under 300,000 people that was fine we had peak minute not peak hour uh, <laughs> we didn't really have congestion it's a yeah. polycentric city so people are traveling north south east west in all sorts of interesting ways but usually from the west to the east and there are a set of centers that people are traveling to within that that coastal strip and um, and the city worked. The, the the basic underpinning grid system of streets kind of worked for a long time. 
But now the space inefficiencies of the car are starting to really become apparent and and we're starting to see success with with the investments we, we, we are making in public transport and and active transport. Um, and the city is starting to change, but it's a difficult transition for any city to make. And that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? It's a space efficiency. So really what we're talking about is everyone sitting in their own private vehicles takes up a lot more space than if you were to jump on a light rail or jump into a bus, you know, or jump into sort of even shared sort of mobility to be or able to... ride a bike on the ocean way. You take exactly. up a lot less space. Yeah. 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 And as you've got a growing city and you've got competing, you know, uses for the the finite amount of land, you know, you need to work out ways to use that space better and to get people to move around easier. Yeah. And if you go back to the early days of the Gold Coast, the 1960s, in southeast Queensland at around that time, the average occupancy of a car was well over two. Yeah. So close to two and a half persons per ride in a car. Yeah. That fell below um, two in, by the, the 1980s kept falling, kept falling. It's now down in the Gold Coast to about 1.1. Yeah, wow. And that's scary. And we thought there was a limit. It could never go below one. We would always have a driver. And, of course, there's a new technology coming out in autonomous vehicles that can actually allow us to now go below one. So we might actually have empty tons of steel circulating on our streets soon which scares the absolute bejesus out of transport planners like me so autonomous <laughs> vehicles i mean it's a good it's a good question so is it going to solve any of our problems or is it actually going to make it worse potentially oh uh, there's there's two views on autonomous vehicles there's the utopian view where we all start to share autonomous vehicles yeah um and we can reduce maybe not in the immediate period households owning one car but, you know, those those households on the other side of Rabina or on the west of the freeway, the area that used to be called Andrews, you know, out there. Yeah. Yep. If you look at those landscapes, there's often one car for every person between the ages of 18 and 70 living yep. in those estates. Um, very high rates of car ownership. Um, and some of the fastest growing ha- um, household categories in the last couple of census periods were four and five car households Um, so people you know teenagers still at home people locked out of housing markets etc but having to have a car to do everything and people buying a cheap secondhand car for their teenage kid or whatever and the the amount of money that Gold Coast residents therefore spend on transportation on the fixed cost of motoring, as well as the the fuel and tyres and other things. But just the, and a car is just such a bad investment. You know, the if you buy a new car, that first kilometre you drive it out of the lot and onto the, um, onto the highway, um, you usually lose, you know, well, it depends on the price of the car. If it's a very expensive car, it could be $10,000 you lose in that first kilometre. Yeah. You'd want to, want to really enjoy that first kilometre. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. And, but even a, a cheap, you know, Skoda or something, it'll be a couple of thousand dollars. You've literally yeah. just destroyed by driving that car um, just a little bit. They are a depreciating asset. Yeah. They don't gain in value like housing and land. They, yeah. So, okay. 
Yeah. Look, I think we've, we've demonised the car. <laughs> but oh, uh, look, the car's been fantastic. It's been it emancipatory. It's given us great things. Yeah. And it kind of worked when the city was small. Yeah. So when struggling do you think, now that the city's big. When do you think we'll start to see better uptake? Like, I feel like we're in that um, that transition between kind of everyone wanting to hold on to their cars and it not really working very well you know, congestion and we're seeing those growing pains and then, but we're still not seeing huge uptake in public and active transport. You know, it's starting to kind of move a little bit with, you know, light rail. I mean, we have one really great corridor running from Broad Beach to Helens Vale of light rail. That's great public transport. Frequent, you don't need a timetable, you just show up. Yeah. Really pleasant air condition, lovely vehicles. You know, it's a transport of delight. Yeah. So if you're going from an origin to destination along that corridor, it's irresistible. It's yeah. great. Yeah. If you're on some of the other routes, there's not that much bus priority out there. Yeah. On those east-west corridors, particularly those really key ones. And, you know, the interchange potential isn't great between bus services. The rail line out the back, well, it's great as we're starting to develop some nodes of activity around them. But again, it's somewhat disconnected from those east-west links. You know, the the kind of connectivity you see in a European city or a Canadian city is not what's on offer Um, and certainly not the frequencies. We have pretty modest rates of use. Yeah. you know, where we've provided it, the light rail corridor, we're having, you know, I always call it the most boring success story in Australian transport planning. I mean, it's it's really solid use. Um, it's had amazing land value uplift benefits that basically made it worth it regardless of the patronage. Um, and that, that return is coming back to the city in other ways. It's been revitalising. I don't think the health and knowledge precinct would work without it. I don't think we'd have seen some of that revitalisation around Southport without it. And I don't think... uh, Tourists are now using it in large numbers and it's having an an impact on the tourism economy, which is still a lifeblood of the city. So, um, yeah, yeah. So you're a big fan of light rail, but there's a there's a lot of criticism, you know, of the extension, particularly of light rail. Um, so the community, you know, and some of it's playing out through the media, you know, with the stage four going south to Coolangatta through Palm Beach, particularly. What are your thoughts on on light rail more generally for the city? Is it a must have? Do we need to keep extending it? You know, there's a bit of talk that it's outdated. You know, people are talking yeah. about trackless trams and things like that now. But and do you think, think stage four will go ahead? I think for the corridor all the way to the airport, I think it will be best to stay with the existing technology. Certainly not outdated. Um, And anyone who's been on it knows it's delightful. I mean, we need to shift in Queensland from burning dirty coal to power technologies like this so that they become truly renewable. And that's an issue for electricity generation generally. But yeah, clean, Uh, it works well in the urban fabric, high capacity mode. Um, And as we start to not just extend it, but also increase the frequencies in those intersections. So, you know, around Broadbeach, 
Southport up to the university. We'll eventually be running those vehicles at under five minute frequencies and moving very large numbers of people. It, within within a decade or so, I imagine it will soon start to overtake the, the volumes of people that are actually on the road uh, in other modes like cars. And that's that's when, you know, you're really starting to hum. And what about the time, like the time that it will take to get from the airport into sort of surfers? Do you think that's going to be competitive enough for the light rail? I think for most tourists and people who are doing a trip to an airport, that's no problem. And we see that around the world. Um, the, the trip time to, say, get to surface paradise will be fine. Um, you know, there's no no great need for underground gold-plated nuclear-powered monorails to kind of do that kind of trip. Um, that said, you know, if the people of Palm Beach really don't want to stop um, and don't really want want light rail there, there is the option to go express past them and not build a station, uh, which would speed up that travel time. Um, so, um, you know, and, and I mean this. I mean... Um, you know, there. I, I am really surprised at the business community of Palm Beach not shrieking from the rooftops that they absolutely want light rail and it will be their future lifeblood uh, and grasping that with a death grip. Um, yeah. They've been a very soft voice here and I would just be amazed looking at their long-term future and the long-term future of that strip of shops Um they will be able to stay at what they are roughly, but not much, and might and might see decline if they they don't really embrace um, yeah. high quality public yeah. transport. Um, and if they really really don't want to stop, uh, it will be the ossification and decline of that strip. So really, I I'm, I remain amazed that the business community of of Palm Beach is not more vocal. Enough said, I think. Okay. Well, so, and that goes to sort of a point, you know, the centre of Palm Beach and and trying to integrate land use and transport planning better is a really important one because, you know, integration of of land use, future land use um, and transport means that, you know, jobs and homes are planned within that walking distance of, you know, the public transport and the active transport. And whilst I've seen a lot of great policies and strategies promoting that integration, putting it into practice hasn't been as commonplace in my in my experience. Can you sort of chat about your experience with integrating land use and transport planning and sort of what we're doing well and what, what we need to do to sort of get it better? Yeah, I moved up to, to southeast Queensland in the late 1990s. Uh, when this new term, transit-oriented development, was all the rage and another planning movement known as new urbanism was washing over the industry and cities around the world were trying to find ways to redesign existing areas and encourage denser development around public transport stops and also trying to build new greenfields developments with real centres based around transport nodes and just try and do things a bit more like old urbanism, which had these strong centres, dense locations and key nodes linked with, with transport. 
And, you know, I've watched as the state government ran TOD task forces, the Transit Oriented Development Task Force. I've seen uh, all sorts of, of strategies, not so much on the Gold Coast, but um, more at state government level, trying to promote and push this idea, but very little in the way of real um, levers. And we, we did have the, um, you know, um, the urban development initiatives of state government, which have have done some things, and what's now economic De development Queensland have have certainly pursued some activities. But I look at a lot of what's been done. Hamilton North Shore is an odd. There's no real transit there, um, and so we've we've seen a lot of developments in the region that have not been good, clustered transit-oriented development. That said, some of the best are on the coast and the best probably in the region is at Parkwood, which is the health and knowledge precinct, the hospital development and, you know, the significant growth of our university at Griffith, all clustered around two light rail stations. Now, there's still a distributor function problem, which uh, of all things, the, the Lime e-bikes have actually started, and we've allowed them on campus, started to address. Uh, but we do need to think about a distributor public transport loop in that area, I think. Um, kind of thing that would be ideal for an autonomous shuttle bus. Um, but, um, but that node is actually working. What we're really bad at in Australian cities, though, is the missing middle, as some people call it. That sort of three-storey walk-up, um, dense townhouse, row housing or, or um, small-scale apartment with, with reasonable quality design, not even great quality design, just reasonable quality design clustered around uh, light rail stations and the like. We're pretty bad at that in Australia. And you've had experience with that, Nicole. You've You've been at the forefront of trying to battle through bureaucracies on some of those things and um, either within the tent or outside the tent. It's it's difficult for those who are trying to develop that kind of product. Certainly. And again, our, our wonderful planning system, particularly at state government level, I don't think really helps us on that front. No, I think you're right. I think you've nailed it. It's a it's a tough it's a tough gig, but it's definitely something that needs a lot more attention. Um, there's signs of hope in the future. I think there's things like, you know, the, the excessive amounts of parking that are built into developments that we can start to really question soon. You know, um, but Australian cities are not leaders in developing car-free or, or getting rid of, you know, minimum parking requirements in cities. We're way behind world practices on on some of these policy settings that we could introduce to start changing changing our urban design, um, yeah. you know, reflecting the, the changing use of the car and taking advantage of of these shifts, you know. I, I, I wanted to touch on the Olympics. We can't, we can't sort of have a, a chat on here without, without talking about the Olympics and talking about how the topic that we're chatting about sort of relates to the Olympics. And I think for transport, it's really important because, you know, the Brisbane 2032 Olympics are being played across the southeast. You know, we've got sports being played in all of the major cities. 
And that would suggest to me that connecting the major cities and the venues throughout southeast Queensland would be really important. And, you know, transport is is the major way to connect. You know, that we yep. do talk about digital connection, but transport, you know, actually physically gets people there, which is which is what we need for for sporting events. Um, but the bid document for the Olympics, in in my reading of it, looks quite silent on on new flashy transport infrastructure, things like light rail to the airport that we were just talking about, even heavy rail extensions. They they, they seem to be missing. What are your thoughts on on the legacy opportunities for transport infrastructure? Oh, everyone comes to me and says, oh, you must be delighted about how much we're about to spend on transport infrastructure. I keep telling people this is the cheap ass Aldi of Olympics when it comes to transport infrastructure. We are not going for it. This is a very different model of Olympics. This will be, you know, we are not uh, extending the heavy rail lines to the airports, so you won't be able to get on, um, you know, the train, the the commuter rail at at Gold Coast Airport and and head north. Um, So we won't be connecting what is effectively Brisbane's second airport, you know, um, but we are not linking that facility. We're not linking... Um, the heavy rail to to Sunshine Coast Airport. I think we'll get stage one uh, of Sunshine Coast light rail, which will help with internal transport, public transport movements on the Sunshine Coast. I think we'll get the light rail to the Gold Coast Airport, um, which will be great. But um, beyond that, there's really not much um, other than what's locked in, which is Cross River Rail, which will mean that the the, um, the Gabba and the Central Athletic Stadium will be supported. And that'll be a really great thing for the city. It also means that we can run a lot more frequency. So there'll be a lot more, you know, we can't, one of the problems with trains on the Gold Coast Line, we just can't run any more frequency in the morning into Central Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest winners of Cross River Rail um, are not people in Brisbane, they're Gold Coast residents particularly commuters travelling north. People don't seem to get that, keep having to kind of educate people about that. But um, uh, And we'll get what's called Brisbane Metro, but that's something that had to happen anyway because the the busway's been too successful in Brisbane um, and has to move to a a higher capacity operating model um, with bigger, longer, multi-door, um, vehicles and forced interchange in the suburbs. So, you know, there's really not much new in the bid document and we'll be relying therefore on travel demand management and scaring people off the roads to ensure that the games work, like what we did in the Commonwealth Games on yeah, the Gold right. Coast very, very recently. Yeah, and that was an interesting experience. It was probably the fastest I've ever got to work, um, going from you know Rabina to to Bundle um, in about you know ten minutes, still sticking to the speed limit. But I've I've never seen the roads still <laughs> still but, but, well, as quiet. Yeah, had had we not scared people off the roads, so for instance, had people from Brisbane decided to drive on mass down to the games. You know, the Smith Street exit would not have been able to deal uh, with the volumes of, of drivers who would have, you know, wanted to do that. We had to get all those people onto trains to come down. We gave them free tickets. We we did all sorts of things to, to encourage that. 
yeah and we'll need to do that again so um yeah, I, yeah. that will be the solution so we're going to hear in the lead up to the games an awful lot of please 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 don't operate at full volume if you're a um, an office business on the Gold Coast those weeks. Please encourage your staff to take leave. Uh, please, you know, reduce your, your, you know, the load you're going to add to the transport networks. And um, and please leave your cars at home. Uh, I think it'll work. We've proven we can do it. And that's one of the reasons we won the bid um, was the success of the, the Commonwealth Games. So, you know, we know we can do it. Um, and we've got the infrastructure. Every, you know, Vancouver would, would give its left eyeball to have the, um, the over 200 kilometres of, of rail corridor that we have. Mm. Um, up near 700 kilometres of actual track across southeast Queensland that's in operation. And most cities in the world would love that. We just run it not very well as an overall system. All right. Well, we're, we're, um, we're going to have to wrap up now. But to finish up, I was well, I thought maybe you could name one transport change. If you could have anything, what sort of transport policy change would you be making for the Gold Coast in the next 15 years? Yep. And the most obvious is uh, speed limits. Really cheap to do. Local government um, realm, so you can do it. You don't have to ask for permission. Uh, and cities around the world, entire nations around the world, have moved to 30-kilometre speed limits. Spain moved a month ago or so, um, the entire country, to 30k per hour. And, um, you know, this is starting in Latin America, Washington, D.C., the, the centre of the motor car um, culture that is the USA, has, has all its streets, all its small local little streets uh, down to 30 kilometres per hour. We still think we're giving children safety at 40 kilometres per hour. We're not. We're, we're way out of lockstep with the rest of the world. And I'm not talking the collector road that gets you out of your suburb. And I'm certainly not talking, you know, the, the sub arterials and arterials around the Gold Coast. I'm talking those little local streets that most people live on. Um, and if we do that, we start to create a low-risk network for cycling, scootering, kids to be able to ride their bikes to school again. Uh, would add almost nothing to people's average travel times, but would do major things to improve livability and health right across the Gold Coast. That's the one thing I would do. I love it. I love it. That's excellent. Okay, so that's that's the nice one. What about what's going to be our real transport challenge that we're going to struggle with in the future? Do you think? I well, there's so many. I mean, there's <laughs> the, the not in my backyard problem of people like those lovely residents of Surface Paradise who are preventing the ocean way being connected. You know, it's kind of becoming uh, almost a, a national joke that the ocean way is not connected um, uh, and that you have this absolutely delightful path from the spit south and then you are sent out into the hurly-burly hustle and and just awfulness of cycling along um, Tedder Avenue and then you can get back onto the path again and it's a transport of delight again. <laughs> yeah. and, 
It's nuts. It's absolutely it nuts. In a tourist economy, the notion that this is being held up by so few people, um, I'm sorry, you know, any out, outside observer just looks at this and says, what is going on here? As cities yeah. around the world are just dying to put in infrastructure like this. Yeah. Um, you know, and if that's still there by the Olympics, that will be a headline joke, you know. Yeah, um, I agree. And so, you know, there's that challenge. But can I just say we are currently inscribing into the new technologies, transport technologies of the future, all the problems of the old system. So, at the, for instance, at the moment, we're training autonomous vehicles to drive like humans currently drive and to be part of a system of automobility that is pretty much the status quo and to use road space in that same way. And I think that's just so dumb. Yeah. We should be looking to a future where we harness this technology to create an urban transport system that operates with the benefits of that kind of former automobility, but without its disbenefits, like its I road agree. safety problems and all the rest of it, and starting to think about how can we redesign these streets in new ways. And there's all sorts of little things we can do there. So, you know, when the Gold Coast um, road builders come out to relay your street in whatever suburb you're in, after about 30 years, your road will get dug up. And at the moment, we currently just relay it the exact same way. Yeah. And cities around the world have moved away from that. Even the Victorians down south have started to uh, say, no, no, no. And they'll come into a community and say, what are the five things we can improve here? God bless. The, um, the transport planners at City Council are actually some of the better transport planners we have in Queensland. We've got an enviable bunch there at the moment. Um, and look, uh, disclaimer, I, I, um, City of Gold Coast funds a... Um, uh, a PhD. We have a student embedded uh, in the transport planning teams uh, from Griffith in a really great little collaboration. So, you know, we, we accept uh, money from, from Gold Coast City, but they get these issues. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think the time is now, you know, especially with where we're at in our growth as a city, and we're going to hit, you know, a million people in the next, I think it's 20 years. So, so we're going to get there. And once we're at, at a city of that scale, it's that you know the challenges that we have now will be you know exponential um yep and that's and the basic mathematics of road capacity yeah. um we we can get more people more jobs more activity into a lot of the existing urban fabric of the gold coast but we can't do it if every person is zinging around in a ton of metal taking up so much space at, at an occupancy like 1.1 persons per car. We just And it could even go lower, as you've said, with autonomous. Yes, That's yes, blowing my mind. A <laughs> change does eventually come. And people do eventually realise that there is something called the public good and the common good. Thank you so much for your time today, Matt. I've really appreciated it. That's been such an informative chat and um, I, I've taken a lot of notes out of that and I would I would love to keep chatting with you, but I do make an aim every week to try and keep these episodes to around that half an hour mark yep, and we're well yep. and truly over that. Sorry, um, sorry. That's okay. Okay, well, um, stay safe out there, everyone, and 
try and do at least a couple of active trips in the next week. And, uh, yeah, enjoy it. Thank you. And thank you for tuning into the Hustle and Bustle podcast this week. A huge shout out to everyone who's left a five-star rating for the show on Apple Podcast. You can follow the show on Instagram, hustle underscore bustle underscore podcast. We also have a home on LinkedIn. Search for Hustle and Bustle podcast and request to join the group. So that's all from this episode. Thanks again for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye for now.